Winter wheat tour participants have returned from surveying this year's crop and confirmed that challenging conditions are leading to a tough year. What might this mean for prices and stocks as 2022 wears on? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. From May 16th to the 19th, the annual winter wheat tour carried out its survey of the Southern Plains wheat crop with its report on predicted yield averages, which were estimated based on the results of 550 stops throughout the region. Progressive Farmer Crops Editor Matt Wildey made his way to Kansas with dozens of other industry experts to participate in collecting the data and reports on what he saw on the ground. Today, we'll talk crop development and weather risks still to come, in addition to pest and disease pressure and quality expectations. We'll dig into variations by region and discuss what's up next as the wheat harvest gets underway, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Progressive Farmer Crops Editor Matt Wildey joins us today to discuss his recent experience on the annual Winter Wheat Tour. Matt, give us kind of the top line. What was the agenda for the tour? Where did you start? Where did you end? What happened while you were on the on the road? So last week, the Wheat Quality Council held its annual Hard Winter Wheat Tour in Kansas. Tour participants met on May 16th in Manhattan, Kansas, and everybody gathered to get an idea of what to kind of expect during the tour, a little bit of a, an overview on how to take yield assessments. Again, uh, many people have been on the tour before, but there are also always a, quite, quite a few first-timers. And the people who attend the yield tour are typically from the milling, and they are bakers, such as there's one uh, gentleman, he was from McKee Foods. His name is uh, Jeeton Mystery. He was an ingredient specialist. And of course, McKee Food is the maker of Little Debbie's. They have a keen interest in in wanting to know how, what the wheat crop is going to be like and in which will give them an idea of future prices and, and all that and quality. There is Inspired Foods was there. And of course, they have such brands as Buffalo Wild Wings and other. Of course, wheat is used in the, buff- the coating of the wings. So again, had some a keen interest in, in wheat. So yeah, there's about a little over 80 people participating in, in the tour. And and it started in again in Manhattan on that Monday on the 16th and look, learned about what to expect. And then everybody took off bright and early the next morning in uh, about four to a car. 
and we did a sweep around the state. Okay, mostly Kansas is the largest wheat producer in, in the nation. So that's the concentration with the tour. Last year, Kansas produced 364 million bushels of wheat. And, uh, but also the tour does stop into a few fields in the southernmost counties in Nebraska. And also the few of the northernmost counties in Oklahoma, since they're both kiwi producers as well. Not nearly the size of Nebraska, but but they are important. So the tour uh, goes around from field to field. About every 10, 15 miles or so, a car will make a stop on different routes. And, and the routes are the same every year to keep consistency. And they'll go out and count heads and tillers and see what stage of the crop is in, whether it's boot stage, flag leaf, heading out, they'll count kernels uh, as well, and berries, and and basically there's a formula uh, that we have for either early season or, or, or more mature wheat and then different areas of the state and voila. Long story short, we come up with a yield estimate for, uh, for that particular wheat field, and typically during the day, participants will make anywhere from 9 to 15, 16 stops along this route, hundred, several hundred miles long. And then at the end of the day, they'll the first day ended in Colby, Kansas, which is in the northeast part of, of the state. And so, you know, that first tour goes along the central and, and northern part of Kansas and again into Nebraska a little bit. And, uh, and then we have a kind of debriefing that day and find out and find out that day's yield estimate and then we the next morning bright and early same thing we had that head down and head down toward the southwest part of kansas and in the central and across start making our way across back east and of course some dip one car dips into oklahoma and others and then we make it to wichita the next day again same all the same thing Make your yield assessments. We judge the quality of the crops. See if there's any disease or insect issues that uh, that are noticeable. See if there's any wet damage like hail uh, you can find, and and we do the same thing. And then the next day we pack it up in the morning again and head back to Manhattan and head head north. But that's a pretty short day. We get to back to Manhattan about eleven to do our the final tally and the final estimates. So there are only a handful of stops are made by all the cars. So okay. that basically wraps it up. It's a long but very productive uh two days of scouting for sure. Two and a half days of scouting. And you all come away with quite a bit of interesting data uh, and something to compare to USDA's figures that they are using from surveys and other predictions. So talk a little bit about what you learned in terms of the numbers and how that crop looks. Absolutely. Well, when we went in with, to the tour, we were warned that, hey, you're gonna, probably going to see some drought stress, heat stress fields, probably some ugly looking fields at, at times. But there's always there's going to be plenty of really nice looking fields as well, but maybe a little bit more on, on some of the more spotty stands and and less productive fields because of uh, weather issues. And with the with Kansas State University Extension folks warned us about that, and they were right. That certainly did happen. Happen. Now, um, Kansas, and I'll be predominantly talking about Kansas because that's uh, the, the big dog here as far as production in the United States. He got off, the crop got off to a great start uh, it, when it was plant, after planting uh, planting in the fall, uh, last fall in emergence. They had some decent uh, weather, but then the spigot turned off and it turned dry. It turned dry. And we there's some cold weather in the 
over the winter time and it stayed dry for the, for the most part uh, and it, uh, the crop is better to the east than it is to, certainly to the west so the southern great plains certainly had its share of heat and drought stress and then later on heat stress and it was definitely a evident. It was, yeah, it was definitely evident. So overall numbers, we came up with an average yield of 39.7 bushels an acre within the tour. And that compared to 39 bushels an acre that the USDA projected in their May estimates. However, their projections, all their data was collected at the beginning of May. And so that's what makes this tour important. Another reason why it makes it too important, this is some of the latest data that's going to be out there for, for people to, to use. Because certainly the crop has and will change in several after several weeks. And it, it, it did because they had received a little more rain and a little more heat in for the first two, two and a half weeks of May. And the crop is has received some more rain here within the last week, five, six days now, which is good. It needs it. But what I was told by farmers and participants and industry experts, it's a little too late right now. The crop was already pretty much made. And basically this the late last rain, it'll help, but it'll help preserve what's there. It hopefully won't go backwards anymore, but it's certainly probably not going to jump the yield by any means. I guess the old saying goes, anything that happens in May in, in wheat is usually bad. But in this case, it's okay because it's it's letting it, letting the crop hang, a, a very stressed crop hang on. So we had, a, again, 39.7 bushel per acre overall yield estimate, average yield. And then for the total production for for uh, for Kansas the tour predicted 261 million bushels and that's compared to 271 million from the government estimates now the reason for that 10 million bushel difference well, even though the yield was just a tick higher is because the tour goers they believe that abandonment figure was going to be a little higher. They expect the, more fields to be abandoned than the government did. The government was expect, uh, predicted a 6% rate of abandonment because of for a variety of reasons, mostly the weather. Either A, it just wasn't going to produce enough to, to combine or the crops too short to combine or there's hail damage that would be, those fields would be zero out. We did see, at least in my car, we did see several fields that did receive hail. As they said, the great white combine came through and there were going to be a total loss. So by the data, abandonment, according to the two, were probably in that 10 to 11% range instead of the 6%, which is fairly normal. So yeah, when you look at that compared to last year's numbers, that is certainly down. Last year, the crop averaged 52 bushels an acre. And the total production was 364 million bushels last year in, in Kansas. But they had ide almost ideal growing conditions last year in Kansas. The heat wasn't as intense during the reproductive period as it was this year by far. And especially they had some pretty good timely rains that were needed. And that that showed that we, had, we found some fantastic fields last year. A lot of them were going 80, 90, over 100 bushels. At time. And not that we didn't find a few like that this year when the end of the day assessments and tallies came in from the different groups. Yeah, you'd hear some 70, 80, 90, even 100, but they were well more than offset by the fields that were not as good. Because in my car, we stopped in southwest Kansas, which was the very, the hardest hit and very 
drought stricken. Only they probably had only received. Uh, some farmers are talking about they hadn't received over an inch of rain in any at any one time in the last 270 days. So, and yeah, they, these places, according to the drought monitor, an extreme and exceptional drought. We would see cracks in some fields, 13 to 18 to almost uh, 20 inches deep. We'd put our ruler down in them, and there would be very sparse stands in some fields. And I'd, I'd be shocked if they would even be it even be combined. Dusty, blowing dirt. It's just uh, it was a pretty pretty sad sight in some of those fields for sure. So. You mentioned it there, but I'll ask you to say a little bit more about that kind of regional variation. I think there's a perception that the western part of the state has been harder hit by the drought than the eastern part. Was there a big kind of noticeable difference between like much higher quality stands in the eastern part of the state and then just it was offset by just how hard hit the western part was? Or was there, I don't know, any surprises there regionally? Sure. Yes, as the tour made its made its stops from east to west, you could definitely see the crop deteriorate in condition, and and the stands deteriorate a little bit as the farther west you went. When we started the from Manhattan, we started off over to Colby. It would just slowly go. There was a lot of fields that we were testing when that field by field estimates in that those 30 to 40 bushel ranges at 50, but then they would start start to go. But as you went in the Southwest, the hardest hit, yeah, it dropped off dramatically where there would be no, where the abandonment was going to be a lot higher. The stands, we had a lot of fields in that single digits for yield estimates, low teens, and so forth. And then the one, a big surprise, Romolo Lulato, K-State Extension Wheat Specialist talked about, he expected the wheat to get a little better than as you went back east from the south. When you got to the southwest, you just started making your way over to the east and and in the south central part of the state. He expected the wheat to get better and fairly quickly. And he was very surprised that it did that. Took more to more toward the east, toward Wichita, actually, for you to start seeing some better weed again, which he said was the biggest surprise. And and likely that is because, again, the rainfall. There's a little better soil, you know, it's more of a little sandier soils over toward the east. And however, they got more rainfall, but the soil doesn't hold the moisture as well either. So that did, I think, create some moisture stress on the crop that uh, that will help keeping these overall yields lower, significantly lower than last year, for sure, but uh, lower than maybe that was ex- a little bit of expected. Now, nobody expected we we're going to have a great crop this year because of the weather, but, but that was a little bit of a surprise. Now, the bright spot, on the other hand, is because of the hot and dry conditions, pest uh, and disease issues, we're really light this year. And people kept saying that was a bright spot. Wheat streak, you didn't see much as much striped rust or wheat streak mosaic. There were a few fields that needed to be treated for some mites, but they were very far and few in between as well. So overall, yeah, a light year for disease and and pests. And thank goodness for that, with a little lower yield, puppy farmers aren't spending or using quite as much fungicides as they might have in, in years past to save a little money. The other question I had on in terms of quality, you mentioned some of the folks who are on this tour definitely are folks who care not just about the quantity of wheat coming out of these fields, but things like protein, other quality concerns. Any sense of what 
kind of maybe some of those stats might look like at this point in the season? So yeah, more than 80 representatives, again, of seed companies, millers, bakers, food manufacturers, agronomists, university researchers, and and government officials such as the USDA, NAS, FAS, and so forth were there to get get that feel of what this crop may, what, what the crop will will produce in the future and of course quality as well protein content is a concern for many end users and the one thing when yields are a little down and the fields are more stressed protein level typically increases so that's a good thing for a lot of these end users it's just the bushels quite aren't there which then increases the price there's always some give and take but yeah the protein level and they said will be should be very good it's just that uh, what kind of bushels are we going to have overall and the usda estimates the overall winter wheat yields are we're going to go 47.9 bushels per acre and uh and then the usda also estimated that total winter wheat production in the United States is going to be 1.7 billion bushels, and that's down 8% from 2021. The winter wheat, total winter wheat production was forecast at 590 million bushels spread, uh, and that's mostly, in the again, in the Great Plains, and that was going to be 21%. That would be 21% less than last year. So again, the, the numbers aren't going to be near there, near as high as before, which will likely keep these wheat prices elevated as they are through the year. We've had uh, recent prices jump over $13 a bushel at at Kansas City. On Tuesday, Kansas City closed at $12.37. So they're they're going up and down a little bit, but it's still a very good price out there. It's just uh, some farmers aren't going to have quite as many bushels to sell as they would, they would hope. So we have this kind of latest up to the up to last week data. We are as fresh as we can get. What's next in terms of when we might know a little bit more? Is it or is there like a USDA report we're on the lookout for? Or are we just waiting for harvest at this point? When are you expecting to see your next update on this crop? Yeah, the Wheat Quality Council's Hard Winter Wheat Tour certainly has given end users and marketers a, a really good idea of what of what the crop currently production of the current crop will look like. Again, their estimates, but actually the tour has some pretty uncanny history where their final production numbers are really close to what the final. USDA production number typically is. So I think a lot of people do take stock in what what these numbers from the from the tour provide as far as looking into the the crystal ball as it will looking into the future a little bit. So there will be some more updated numbers coming in June from the USDA, but until then these numbers are what the what the USDA projected in May and and then with the tour projections those are the numbers that the trade and and end users are going off of right now and and certainly prices are still very healthy for wheat because of that and harvest has begun as well in Texas and in Oklahoma during the tour we, we received reports of combines rolling in Oklahoma from the Oklahoma Wheat Association and and most tour goers during the tour, they also provided projections when the fields they were in would be harvested. And we heard a lot of three to five weeks out. 
for for announced. So that was a pretty good a pretty good range as well. Illinois is doing their wheat produ- their wheat tour as well. They just wrapped that up the other day. The numbers aren't in for the, that tour yet, but that harvest and they grow soft winter soft uh, red winter wheat in uh, mostly in southern Illinois it's double cropped with soybeans and there there that harvest usually starts in mid June okay great that was wonderful and then my very last question is just any other stories that you are working on right now that you are excited about or want to give us a little preview on as far as some stories that that I'm working on is for the August edition of the Progressive Farmer magazine I'll, I'll have stories coming in about about the relationship between landowners and cash renters and how a uh, good re- good relationships and long-term commitments and leases are needed to really drive conservation practices and soil health and improve water quality and, and on a large scale. So look for that in the August uh, edition of uh, Progressive Farmer Magazine. Um, <clears throat> also, look for a, a story about the birthplace of the first tractor. On, on this week, I'm going to be traveling to the little village of Froelich, Iowa, and of course, that's the home of John Froelich, who in the 1800s decided that, that there had to be a better way to be, besides horses and steam power, big monster steam powered traction engines to harvest wheat and, and oats and, and so forth and till fields. So he decided to use this, this little used throwaway fuel called gasoline at that time to invent a motor. He, he created a, a motor and put it on an old steam rig and, uh, and in Northeast Iowa, created what turned out to be the first tractor. And that, uh, that obviously is the forerunner of the Waterloo boy and was eventually bought by John Deere. And you know, there's the story after that. But there's a museum in Froelich, Iowa. It's off of Highway 18 in Northeast Iowa, in the northeast corner of the part of the state near Monona, Iowa. And there's a museum dedicated to his works. And that village that used to be a pretty thriving village at one time back in the 1800s. Now it's not more than a couple of houses. And really, it's it's just the, the small little roadside museum. And you drive by it and you don't even really notice it right away because it's... but. It's such an important part of ag history that I don't think even a lot of locals even realize how important that is. I think that'll be a, a great and, and really fun story to tell how the importance of it. And of course, it was John Froelich was featured in on the History Channel's The Machines That Built America series here within this last year. And when I talked to the museum operator and they said yeah after that they certainly did get a little uptick in in visitors because of that so, so i'll talk to her about that as well so look for that in a future probably in the august edition of the progressive farmer and also in progressive farmer to the our my big very large comprehensive story on the the soy processing the the rapid expansion of soy processing or on the nation will be published as well. It's already been in DTN and in several uh, parts, but it'll also be in the Progressive Farmer as well. You can read more about the Winter Wheat Tour and all of Matt's reporting at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. 
This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Matt Wildey. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.